I now can sing since I've been redeemed. I'm on the everlasting, everlasting rock. I faith in Christ, my Redeemer King. I'm on the everlasting, everlasting rock. This is the voice of hope. Then roll, roll, billows roll. I'm on the everlasting rock of ages. Roll, roll, billows roll. I'm on the everlasting rock. As human beings, our greatest need is forgiveness of sin. And when that need is met through the merits of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, then it brings visible results because it transforms our lives and it fills us with joy. For the paralyzed man in Mark chapter 2, forgiveness enabled him to pick up his bed and walk out of the house where Jesus had healed him. In our study today, we'll see how forgiveness impacted the life of a despised tax collector. So stay with me. My death was past, my judgment come, I trembled and my heart grew numb. The devil waved before the throne, a sign where all my sins were shown. I looked and saw the sign was great inside. The type was small and tears came to my eyes. The devil sneered at my dismay and began to drag my sinking soul away. my Savior be. I thought he'd die so I could be set free. Then Jesus strode into the room. He saw my sins, he saw my doom. He reached the throne and grabbed the sign and turned to God and cried, He's mine. I died for him. He trusted me. I rescued him. I set him free. I nailed his sins upon my tree. Now I'm with him and he's with me. He is now my property and he will live with me eternally. I died for him, he trusted me, I rescued him, I set him free, I nailed his sins upon my tree. Now I'm with him, and he's with me, he is now my property, and he will live with me eternally. Thank you, men. Can Jesus tell his Father that you belong to him? Can he say of you, he's mine or she's mine? I hope your answer to that question is yes. I'm J. Mark Horst, the Bible teacher on The Voice of Hope, and I welcome you to stay with me as we continue our study in Mark's Gospel. This program, The Voice of Hope, 
is produced by Heralds of Hope. We're an international media ministry sharing the gospel around the world in English and 25 other languages. We use all forms of media, radio, internet, social media, and print to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people all over the world. And all of this is made possible by the prayers and financial support of people just like you. So if you are one of those who pray and give to make this ministry possible, thank you for your partnership. Now to prepare for my teaching, I encourage you to get your Bible in hand or to open the app on your phone so you can follow along with me as I read the text in a few minutes. In this episode of our study from the Gospel of Mark, we'll be looking at chapter 2 and verses 13 to 17. Most religions of the world have some things in common. One of those things is a belief in a higher power that can impact life in either a positive or a negative way. And religions also share practices like worship, kindness, compassion, and community. But what is the goal of all of these practices? I understand the fundamental goal of all religions is to enable worshipers to connect with the object of their worship. And then to reach that goal, they must find a way to be acceptable to the God or the gods they worship. Subjectively, they concern sin and the sinner. Objectively, they seek forgiveness of sin and welcome for the sinner. Now, I grant you, not all religions have a concept of sin. But most of them operate on the premise that the worshiper must do something to make himself or herself acceptable to the one that's being worshipped. The rabbinical traditions of Judaism in Jesus' day followed this premise. All of their cumbersome observances were only an attempted answer to the question, how can a person be just with God? Now, Judaism, as it was practiced in the time of Christ, stood silent and powerless regarding the forgiveness of sins. It had no word of welcome or help for the sinner. In fact, the very title, Pharisee, meant separated one, and it implied that sinners were excluded. We see this mindset and its effects repeatedly as we read through the Gospels. Pharisees believed that the unlearned or those who were ignorant in the law could neither be right with God nor could they live righteously. And so contact with that kind of people made one unclean. Understanding this concept is critical to the proper interpretation of the healing of the paralytic, which we looked at the last time, if you were with me, and the text that's before us today. Because in the minds of the religious leaders of that day, one needed to clean up their life before they came to God. And then once that happened, God would accept them. So you see what happened. When Jesus welcomed sinners and offered them grace, the scribes and the Pharisees were offended because it was contrary to their whole belief system. I've titled today's teaching, The Offense of Grace. That Jesus introduces this concept of grace so early in his ministry, I believe, is instructive. His miracles of curing human sickness and then curing the sickness of the soul demonstrated his power as the great physician. So follow along as I read Mark chapter 2 and verses 13 to 17. Follow the sequence of events and the varied reactions to the grace that Jesus demonstrated. Then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. 
As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened, as he was dining in Levi's house, that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners, to repentance. The sequence of actions in this text show us how grace is restorative to the sinner, but also how it's offensive to the self-righteous. The actions that we're going to look at are the call to the sinner, the community of sinners, and the contempt of the scribes, and then finally, the correction of the Savior. The first action is the call to a sinner. Levi was a tax collector, and he was collecting taxes for the hated Roman government. Jesus met him, in the words of our text, sitting at the tax office. Sitting at is more literally sitting on, because it was an elevated platform or bench, which was a principal feature of the toll office. And Levi's customs office was at Capernaum. It was the landing place for many ships that coasted from town to town or traversed the Sea of Galilee. And it wasn't only for those who had business in Capernaum, but for those who would connect there with the great road of eastern commerce that ran from Damascus to the harbors of the west. Now, there were two kinds of tax collectors in Jesus' day, and Levi was among the group that was most hated, the Moxa. They were responsible for collecting duty on all imports and exports, harbor dues, town dues, and a lot of other things we would call today nuisance taxes. And these they collected at their own discretion. These men were known for their greed and for their partiality. In other words, they would show favor to the wealthy, including the religious leaders, but then they would take advantage of the poor and the defenseless, those who had no one to speak for them. And so that's the kind of man Levi was, probably very wealthy, but also very deeply despised. And this word moxa seems to be associated with the ideas of oppression and injustice. And because of that, the rabbis of that day forbade tax collectors from serving either as judges or witnesses. In some cases, they were even barred from attending the local synagogue. The Pharisees also said that repentance was especially difficult for tax gatherers and customs house officials. And so that statement has a direct bearing on our text, and it shows us how Jesus was not constrained or bound by the interpretations of the law that the rabbis came up with. So in light of all this, you can imagine the astonishment of Jesus' disciples when he said to Levi, follow me. One of the things you notice about Jesus in his ministry is he didn't hesitate to break cultural taboos and go against prevailing religious sentiments, even though it offended the religious authorities. That's because he had the ability to see beyond the exterior of a person and look directly into their soul. So Jesus offers Levi a simple call, follow me. 
He was inviting Levi to walk with him, to become one of his disciples, one of his followers. If you think about this scene for just a little bit, you can imagine that from his toll booth near the seaside in Capernaum, Levi must have heard Jesus as he taught the crowds there on the shore of the Lake Galilee. From his elevated seat on the tax platform, he could observe the eager multitudes that thronged around Jesus. Maybe he saw the white sails of the boats crisscrossing the lake and the crowds following Jesus from place to place. He would have also seen the long lines of people with all kinds of illnesses and disease, graciously welcomed and then sent away made completely whole. And like others, Levi most likely wondered at the gracious words that proceeded out of Jesus' mouth. Now this man, Levi, whose repentance the rabbis proclaimed extremely difficult, Jesus offered his simple call, follow me. And in the Greek text, Levi's response is only four words. But those four words show us the totality of his acceptance. He rose up and followed Jesus. You know, Jesus is still offering this call of grace to sinners today. It doesn't matter what your nationality is, your family background, your occupation, or what your social or economic status is. I ask you, have you, like Levi, heard Jesus' call to discipleship? Do you understand his grace? And then, what is your response? The next action that we see then in this process of the offense of grace is the community of sinners. In Luke's Gospel, we learn that Levi gave Jesus a great feast in his house. Mark just says that Jesus reclined at the table there in Levi's home. In response to Jesus' call to follow him, Levi must have invited Jesus to his house for a meal, and reclining with him at the table were many tax collectors and other assorted sinners. Now that's really not too surprising, is it? We have a saying here in the West, birds of a feather flock together. Most of us like to associate with those who are of similar background or employment or lifestyle. And so here is Levi, this man so long the subject of hatred and suspicion, who has found genuine love and acceptance in the presence of Jesus. And so surely he would want his friends to experience the presence of Jesus so that they could know that love and acceptance too. As human beings, our greatest need is the forgiveness of sin. And when that need is met, it brings about visible results. For the paralyzed man whose healing we looked at earlier, Forgiveness of sin caused him to do what? To take up his bed and walk. Now, we don't have any record that he became part of the inner circle of Jesus, but he certainly became a disciple. Levi's forgiveness motivated him to share his resources and Jesus' friendship with his fellow tax collectors. I see Levi as a man with a big heart. Think about it. He had just walked away from a very lucrative and secure way of making a living, because as long as there was commerce, there would be taxes. And while he was most likely a wealthy man with accumulated property, he now had no certainty of future income. I believe his generosity to Jesus and his friends gives evidence of the new life that he was already living. Before this, he was cold, calculating, greedy, but now he freely shared what he had without thought of expense. Levi's example illustrates an important effect of salvation. Grace is restorative. 
It makes a difference in the focus of our lives and our relationships with other people. Following Jesus calls us to focus on the things that he wants rather than what we want. Following Jesus calls me to use my resources for his honor and glory and for the blessing of other people. Following Jesus will enable me to do both of those joyfully. How does your life and mine measure up to those important truths? Am I willing to share what I've found with people like me? We could say, my community of sinners? The next action, then, that we see is the contempt of the scribes. The text says the scribes of the Pharisees. They considered themselves to be among the few who were worthy of God's attention. After all, they knew the law, and they had worked out a strict code of rules and regulations to make sure they didn't violate it. And so, as I said earlier, they viewed the common people as beneath them. Their very ignorance made them unclean in the sight of these supposed holy ones. So for Jesus to meet with these sinners, tax collectors and otherwise, offended the religious teachers, and it opened Jesus up to their criticism. Now, the common people of the day, we have to acknowledge, had a certain respect and fear of the Pharisees. Some people observed their outward piety and concluded that they actually were holy men, but the respect of other people was more self-serving. They knew that most of these men were wealthy and that they wielded significant power in their communities. They had the ability to make your life miserable if they wanted to. So it was best to at least act like you respected them. As we read through the Gospels, we learn that the religious leaders really didn't understand the divine realities of grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And that's evident from their question to Jesus' disciples. I'm paraphrasing, but this is what they said. If your teacher is holy, why is he associating with those who are unclean or unholy? You see, they were offended that Jesus would offer grace to those that they looked down on with contempt. I also find it interesting that these men complained to the disciples rather than directly to Jesus. They most likely hadn't forgotten how Jesus had so thoroughly confounded them in the healing of the paralyzed man. And so, inspired by Satan, they wanted to drive a wedge between Jesus and his followers. You see, the followers of Jesus were still in their spiritual infancy. They weren't settled in their minds on many of the questions of faith and righteousness. Satan wanted to exploit that through the religious leaders. Are there people that you and I know whom we feel are worthy of contempt? Now, of course, we would quickly say no. But I wonder, what do our actions show? Don't you and I often try to avoid messy situations where people are deeply entangled in sinful behaviors? Are we sometimes fearful of what others might say about us? if they see us in the company of people who are burdened with sin? If we're truly honest, we'll have to admit that we struggle with some of the same attitudes that the Pharisees did. Let's face it, the gospel is offensive to people because it exposes their sin. It shows them they can't be good enough to earn God's approval. And it's also offensive to the self-righteous when Jesus freely offers his grace to those kinds of people people that they consider to be undeserving. Well, there's one more action that we see in this offense of grace, and it is the correction of the Savior. 
Evidently, Jesus overheard them asking this question of his disciples because he spoke directly to their criticism. He said, those who are healthy do not need a doctor, only those who are sick. And I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And yes, Jesus was calling sinners to repentance, but he was calling them to much more than that. He was calling them to himself and to become his disciples. Michael Iaconelli, author of the book Messy Spirituality, shares insight into our need for a physician. He tells how there was a period of time when he and his wife employed a housekeeper, and she would come once each week, and she would dust and vacuum and clean every little corner of their house. And Michael said he dreaded the day she came because he and his wife would spend all morning cleaning the house for the housekeeper. You say, well, that doesn't make sense. The housekeeper was coming to clean. But they didn't want the house to be dirty because they were concerned about what the housekeeper would think about them. Michael went on to say that we act the same way with God. We talk our way out of the spiritual life by refusing to come to God the way we are, dirty. Instead, we wait until we are ready to come to God as we aren't. We decide that the way we lived yesterday or last week or last year makes us damaged goods, and until we start living right, we're not God material. Now, some of us actually believe that until we choose the correct way to live, we're not worthy of being chosen, that until we clean up the mess, Jesus won't have anything to do with us. I've met people like that. But you know the opposite is true. Until we admit we're a mess, Jesus won't have anything to do with us. Once we admit how unlovely we are, how lost we are, how messed up we are, then Jesus shows up and he begins to change us from the inside out. The New Testament shows us Jesus is attracted to those we would view as unattractive. He prefers the one lost one over the 99 found ones the losers over the winners, the broken over the whole, the messy instead of the non-messy, and the crippled instead of the non-crippled. Have you accepted Jesus' call to be one of his followers? The call that Jesus gave to Levi is still extended today. Jesus is still saying, follow me. He's inviting you to leave behind your sin, to rise up from the ashes of your sinful past, and follow him. What freedom, what joy, you can experience just like Levi did. And then, like Levi, you'll want to tell your friends how Jesus has set you free. Because you will want them to experience the incredible blessings that you've received as a follower of Jesus. You will invite them to listen and to learn and to have fellowship with Jesus too. But be sure, in doing this, you will also invite criticism. Not everyone will appreciate your newfound freedom. That's because your newly cleansed life will make some of your former friends feel the guilt of their sin. They'll accuse you of being a do-gooder, of being holier than thou. And they might refuse to associate with you. But that too is part of the offense of grace. But remember, Jesus is calling sinners. The self-righteous don't see their need for him. In their minds, They do well enough on their own, thank you. So don't be offended by God's grace. Reach out, accept it, and let your life and the lives of those around you be transformed. The Savior has come in his mighty power and spoken peace to my soul. And oh, 
Yes, it is marvelous what Jesus did for the tax collector, Levi. But it's also marvelous what Jesus has done for me. And I hope you have found forgiveness and acceptance in him too. I pray you're not offended by God's grace like the Pharisees were in our study today. But I pray that you have accepted God's grace in your life. If you'd like to review this teaching or share it with someone, you can ask for a copy. It's available either in print or as a digital audio file. Just ask for it by its title, The Offense of Grace. And the easiest way for you to contact us is to use our email address, hope at heraldsofhope.org. Or you can call us toll-free at 866-960-0292. Or mail your request to The Voice of Hope, Box 3. Breezewood, Pennsylvania, 15533. And of course, you can review today's teaching or listen to archive programs by logging onto our website, heraldsofhope.org. You can also connect with us easily from our website. If you'd like to help this ministry financially, you can send a check by mail, or you can donate securely online at heraldsofhope.org. You can also call our toll free number. 866-960-0292 to donate via credit or debit card. It is God's grace, accompanied by your fervent prayers and your generous financial support, that will enable the Voice of Hope to be on the air until Jesus comes in the air. Now, don't forget to join me next week for the Voice of Hope as we continue our study in Mark's Gospel. My teaching will be titled, The Gospel paradigm. And until we meet again, I have ceased from my wandering and going astray since Jesus came into my heart. And my sins, which were many, are all 
washed away since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into my heart. Floods of joy o'er my soul like the sea billows roll. Since Jesus came into my heart. There's a light in the valley of death now for me. Since Jesus came into my heart. And the gates of that city beyond I can see. Since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into my heart. Floods of joy o'er my soul like the sea billows roll. Since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into my heart.